Welcome to episode 151. Did you know that the way that most of the world does farming is turning the world into a deserted wasteland? Sounds extreme, but one of the theories as to why the pyramids are surrounded by desert is due to the hypothesis that those lands were farmed to death. And the same thing is happening in our current world, which directly impacts you because the food we eat comes from those farms and the food is grown in soil or on land that is lacking in biodiversity and nutrition and instead victim to an excessive amount of toxins. And by default, that means you and your family, if you eat, are in the exact same position, nutrient deficient and toxin loaded, which is why this episode is a must for anyone that likes food because we're discussing how to turn the farming world around into a biodiversity and ecologically abundant ecosystem that produces extremely nutrient-dense food in a very low-tox or even chemical-free environment. And the way in which that happens is using the regenerative farming model. You ready to dive down this rabbit hole with me? Let's do it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to another episode of our wonderful show here, if I do say so myself where it's my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be your healthiest self before the end of December 2021. One thing I really love about this podcast is that we get the full gamut of people speaking on health across the board, from different medical modalities and different dietary philosophies, different disease solutions that your doctor might not tell you about, and teasing out the facts from marketing fiction. The health and management of the body is exceptionally complex, diverse, and that complexity mirrors the world around us. And what I mean by that is biological life itself of all types, animals, plants, mycelium, bacteria, and soil. And so today's episode is on one of the far ends of the health spectrum, but is fundamentally a core pillar of every other thing that we discuss on this show. I want to introduce you to a good mate of mine from here in Australia, Ray Milladoni, known to many as Regen Ray from FarmingSecrets.com. Regen Ray is an expert in the regenerative farming world and runs Farming Secrets, an organization that primarily helps educate farmers on how to transition from old school outdated farming methods such as tilling to be able to recover the health of their land and grow extremely nutrient-dense plants from soil that is biologically diverse in nature because, as I mentioned in the intro, we're turning the earth into dirt deserts and barren wasteland, something that threatens the ability of Mother Nature to be able to produce enough food for us to survive, at least while we're intervening. Irrelevant of the diet you follow, the disease you have or the supplements you take, if you eat food, this conversation is a must for you because the health of the soil is where the health of humans begins and ends. Ray also has a podcast which you should definitely check out called Secrets of the Soil and today we're going full ham on introducing you to regenerative farming and what it means for you at home. Ray, my man, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm ready, Maddie. Thank you so much. I'm a raving fan of your podcast and I've really enjoyed listening to the conversation. So I can't wait to add more to this amazing topic. Oh, we're so wrapped to have you. I've been, uh, I've been smashing your podcast in the last few days. Excellent. I'm glad. Uh, you, you're hired as our copywriter. That intro reel was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, better than what I could talk about myself. <laughs> well, I am glad because I did that at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> You're hired, You're hired. So, for everybody listening, introduce us in, like, to the concept of uh, regenerative farming. But maybe a better way to, to, to ask that question is the work that Farming Secrets does, how does that help people interested in health and nutrition? Awesome. So the journey started a very long time ago. Helen and Hugo built this business off the back of wanting to move the food system to something more natural. They Mm -hmm. ran an ag shop. They looked at the barrels and they said, why is there a skull of bones on something that we're putting on our food? Mm. And Helen asked that question to Hugo and they kind of went down this rabbit hole and went, wow, we're actually putting poisons that is so on the label at the front of the, at the back end of the system that doesn't make the front end of the system. And so they went down this journey of starting a natural fertilizer business and that then led to them building an education business. And I'm very grateful for that because many years later we've crossed paths, our values aligned 
a lot. And uh, I've now become partner into the business to keep it going for the next generation. And so what that what is uncovered as we dig deeper and get our hands dirty is that a lot of the system that of our food, and as you said before, if you eat, you're involved in agriculture in some way. So much of our food, fiber and fuel comes from agriculture and it all starts at the foundation of the soil. And deeper than that, it's the mindset of the farm enterprise. So it's mindset and soil. And that's why I say that, you know, soil and soul only has two letters different and it's I and you. And when we kind of all work together, we can really regenerate the soul, the mindset, and then that action will translate into the soil. And then the soil becomes the foundation building block of everything that is kind of built on top of that. So no one really asks the question, like, what does plants eat? You know, they just see a cornfield, they see a soy field, they see, you know, farmers growing a garden and no one really understands that that plant's resilience and that plant's nutrition comes from a direct relationship to its soil quality and its ability to take hydration, water and the sunlight and convert it to really magical stuff that has all these scientific names and I'm not going to bore all the listeners with that (laughs) because there's a lot of that already freely available but there, there is so much life happening under the soil that when I started realizing this, I just went, why are we treating soil like dirt? Why are we poisoning it? Why are we tilling it and turning it upside down? Why are we leaving it bare and baking it by the sun and just killing all that, you know, magic that's under the soil? And I'm really glad that there's a lot of documentaries that have come out lately to really shed some light on how important soil is as a building block to really what I believe is civilization survival. Absolutely. I mean, the soil's what we put the put the food in, and if the food's not healthy or nutrient dense, and you hear this at a lot of um, supplement conve- conventions too, um, and conferences and and landing pages and stuff like supplement companies are like, well, the nutrition in food is like half as much as what as what it was fifty years ago, and then there's two responses to that, and one is, well, if one stick of celery has half as much nutrition, eat two, but that also means that we need to produce twice the amount of food with half the amount of nutrient density, which is also a, ends up being a zero sum game when you get to the end of it. So fixing those soils is is paramount to do the opposite, right? Have twice the amount of nutrition and half the amount of food. So in order to know where we're at now and then where we need to go, what's going on with the average farmer's soil now? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's not their fault. Like, fortunately, it's not their fault. Everyone is doing the best that they possibly can do. And it's really the mentors and experts that everyone's leaning on. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the same as like, I know a lot of the conversations and you opened up with this as well, is that maybe we go to the doctors and their information is skewed based on a monetization system or award system Mm -hmm. or just a limited belief system. And the same has happened in the ag space is farmers go to the best source of truth that they know and they're getting the information that that person bestly knows and maybe it's lining their pocket and they need to feed their family as well. And that system has unfortunately let us down. So at the moment, there's a lot of research that shows that there's probably about 60-ish cycles left of farming available if we keep following the same system. And maybe about five years ago, it was really trendy to follow what was called sustainable ag. And with no discredit to sustainable agriculture, awesome. But if you really look at the word sustain or sustainable, it means to keep the same. And maybe 10 years ago, it was okay to keep it at what it was 10 years ago. But fast forward, we've degraded that landscape even further over the last 10 years. And so it's not okay anymore, in my opinion, to sustain that broken system or that depleted system. So we really need to turn the model upside down and regenerate it. And the way that we regenerate is by putting soil first and really understanding that the farm metrics that matter is not the yield. Like you said, you can have 10 apples, but if those Mm -hmm. apples are a third of the nutritional value, then what's the point of growing more? You know, we live in a world of Mm. better, faster, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's better, you know, um, or more nutritional value for us. And there was another study that said that we now have to eat six apples for the same nutritional benefit than what was about 40 or 50 years ago. So that old saying of like an apple a day keeps the doctor away is broken. It's now six apples a day keeps the doctor away. A kilo of apples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And so the price is coming down, but that's all of an illusion, you know, and this is where really organics and, you know, what I like to call morganics, things that are even beyond the organic kind of benchmark system, and that's where regenerative sits for me, is maybe paying twice as much for an apple is actually mm-hmm. more cheaper if we start looking at dollar per nutritional value or dollar per quality rather than mm-hmm. kilos. 
So the current system is quite stuck and there's a lot of people who feel it in their body and in their soul and in their spirit that they want to do something different. But unfortunately, they're up against a system that has, you know, forced a system upon them by using intellectually property protected seeds that require X chemicals to be used, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, and, and people sign contract with these seed companies to get good prices for 10 years and they're stuck. Literally, if they don't pay to play, they lose everything, you know. So this is unfortunately the agreements, you know, the supermarket chains play a big part in price fixing and agreements um, and, pe- you know, people people are just have to play the game, you know. So it takes a little while to break these systems down. But I think the real control is at the consumer level. People have the choice to vote with their dollars. And mm-hmm. you know, from my point of view, it's a ground up. You know, don't wait for the farmers to change. Force the change on the farmers by choosing better quality food in the supermarkets, you know, buying and directly from farmers, supporting, you know, websites that, buy directly co-ops. There's so many like innovative things, especially now post-COVID where farmers and logistic companies have had to innovate how they move food through the system because the traditional models kind of broke and became halted. And so Mm -hmm. you can buy directly from the farmers and farmers are getting their, you know, digital footprint more in line and making it easier for consumers to buy directly and go to Farmgate and and buy and support the farmer directly. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned something in there that's going to be really useful. Just So, I guess most of the listeners are not farmers and I think I grew up in a country town with, you know, grew up, started on a farm when I was really little um, and, and know, know a lot of farmers but I think there's a bit of a disconnect between, you know, your non-farmer and your farmer. So, the the non-farmer thinks that farming and farmers, because they deal with, you know, such massive amounts of property and cattle and crops, that they are by default rich. Like they're, you know, they live on a farm, they're doing really well. Um, and then you've got the actual reality of these farmers that have signed these contracts with these mega corporations, these mega entities that are, you know, half trillion dollar entities um, with these seed companies and this global monopoly on farming. And so the actual reality is that for farmers, they're often really struggling to make ends meet. So can can you talk to us a little bit about or introduce people to the idea of that, which you touched on there, was like signing these seed deals. Why is, you know, why are these farmers trapped in these agreements, which are one, financially really hard to stick to, but two, um, also mean that the continued decline in quality of their soil is something that's out of their hands because they've signed a deal to farm in a particular way? Yep. Big question. And many systems are playing parts in this. It, you know, I think the financial industry plays a very big part of this. And one of the things that we've been advocating for a long time is changing the narrative or the understanding from a financial point of view of what is quote unquote farmable land. So there's this big misconception that when, you know, colonization happened that we needed to clear the land and put stock on it and put all these stocking rates and some scientists did some research to say, yeah, you need X amount of cows per acre for it to be profitable. Mm -hmm. And that was only possible on clear land. If there was a tree, it's in your way of profits. If there was a forest, it's in the way of profits. And so all this land got cleared. And there are a lot of landholders now where they have, you know, 50% of cleared land and that's what the bank Mm -hmm. lend you money on. That's what the bank sees as farmable land. And there are some banks who are starting to change the narrative of this. But unfortunately, a lot of these farmers got lending during this time. And so the banks need to realise that there is a lot of what they call natural capital or a lot of good resources in that quote unquote unfarmable land. So... That is one of the problems is the financial Mm -hmm. system is broken and it is pushing farmers into the corner to say, unless you clear this forest and kill the biodiversity and ruin this this bit of land and turn it into depleted grass and and bring it back to dirt and uh, put rows Mm -hmm. rows of monoculture on it, we're not going to give you money and and we want to see a business model where it's all focused on yields. It's all about how much you grow. So that's the next kind of broken model is where the farmer model, the ag companies all focus on yield. It's about the output. It's like, let's not care about whether the farmer's exhausted, whether the family's breaking, whether the community's leaving the the town, um, whether you're ruining wildlife. And, you know, there, there are farmers who went on their farm and they fell in love with the land. And then 20 years later, it's just dust and there's no animals and there's no wildlife. There's no birds chirping. There's no nothing. It's just death, you know. And yeah. 
And, and that's like one of our catchphrases is like fall back in love with your farm again. You know, we want farmers to go back 20, 30 years ago when they did fall, ha, were, there was a love and a passion for farming. So the yield output and the focus on product and it being the right shape and the right colour and the right size and all that kind of thing, that's another pressure to these farmers. Um, mm-hmm. And and then it's consumers, you know, wanting the down-down prices, you know, cheaper bag of carrots for less than a dollar. Like most farmers will, will cry if they see that those are the prices that, you know, the companies are, are, are putting on the shelves because so much effort goes into it. Um, and it was a bit of an eye-opener for I think a lot of consumers and maybe some of the listeners would, will, will re- relate to this is when COVID hit, everyone went out and bought seeds and toilet paper. And um, people <laughs> realised that growing a carrot is difficult and the capsicums that they grew didn't flower and didn't turn into fruit and they got challenged by how come this little garden bed that I've set up at home isn't working? And I think that's really mm-hmm. important to sit with and go, if it was that hard for you to do it in your own backyard, imagine how hard it is for a farmer to do it large scale so that way it gets on a truck and ends up on a shelf for you to then go and buy and then complain that it's too expensive, you know. So that mm-hmm. effort that goes into growing food, I think a lot of light was shed on that as well. Um, and then the other problem farmers face is that they, they don't want that life for their kids. So there's no succession. You know, there's no long-term mm-hmm. thinking. It's all about season to season, yield to yield. There's no 10, 15, 20, 30-year plan to their farming enterprise. So everything's about short-term thinking. What will get me through this season? What will help me pay the loans this year? Um, You know, I've got, I'm already three loan repayments behind. I'm about to default. Like, what do I do to make ends meet? And sometimes Mm -hmm. that pushes farmers to really bad decision-making, you know, because it comes from a space of scarcity, not abundance. Oh, absolutely. And and that could you could argue that that's a symptom of our wider culture and the way in which, one, the economy's gone, but two, the introduction of fast food, the introduction of social media, all of these things that are progressively being introduced, which are all about, you know, FOMO, missing out, you know, I'm not enough, I need to all of these things yesterday. Um, and, you know, price of food is the same. And, and then we end, up, we end up in this situation nutritionally that in the supermarket, we've got all of these options that are in a bag, a box, or a can that don't fulfill what people want, you know, don't fulfill people's satiation, don't make people feel nutritionally abundant, lead to illness, lead to disease. And so even though, the, you know, they're, they're debating about the fact that, oh, the fr- fruit and veggies or organics too expensive, if you actually just spent the money on a lot of that stuff, you would feel satiated enough to not want to put all of the chocolate in or all of the other stuff that you're spending your money on. Uh, and, and obviously, there's a, there's a tipping point in there too as to the nutritional density and the quality and as well the toxic load that a lot of these things come with because of uh, chemicals that they use on farms or supplements that they use for animals. So, yeah, it's, I think it's a symptom of just where society is in general, that everybody's thinking, where can I get the next dollar just to survive? And, and the fact that all these systems are so interconnected, like your choice in a supermarket has such a ripple effect from the point that you buy it, what you do with it afterward, and what has happened before it. You know, And if we realize that we are so connected to all the systems at even a spiritual level, that you know, this is why I feel like a lot of people are moving towards understanding better the First Nations of our of our land is the First Nation people got it. They were able to interpret the sound of the kookaburra and the flow of the water mm-hmm. and the colour of the water. You know, we, we used to rely on our river networks to be our source of drinking. We would never pollute that. But because we've become disconnected of relying on the river, now who cares what chemicals are in there? Who cares what rubbish we throw in there? It's like someone else will deal with it kind of mentality mm. and that outsourcing the problem to someone else going surely if food was poisonous they would put a label on it well let's take smoking for example there are labels on it and people still buy the stuff so <laughs> yeah. i ain't gonna solve the problem you know it's about self-education self-awareness and just really respecting and understanding and i agree i i, I know some days i make choices that are bad too like education doesn't prove to help you make better choices you know, there's a lot oh, of willpower, training. If it, was, if it was, we'd all be sexy, intelligent, and rich because Google exists if information was the transformational variable. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You know, and, and so that, that's right. And like even for myself, like I know how hard this is. Even someone working in this space, meeting the farmers, speaking to the consumers, speaking to the different bodies involved in our food system. And I go, wow, look at all these moving parts. And I would say that I'm quite in the know and even I struggle on some days, you know. So mm-hmm. I sit here going, if I struggle, imagine what 
most others do that aren't really aware of it. And a very key person in this space, um, Charlie Arno, you know, basically says like we should really not be putting organic labels and regenerative labels. We should be putting poison. You know, and then you choose whether you want this poison on the food label or you want something that's grown naturally. And I don't. I hope that we don't have to get to that point where we got to smack it in the face. But even then, I feel like maybe people still wouldn't care because we've seen that happen with drugs and alcohol and and smoking. Yeah. So, you know, pain versus pleasure is a very big motivational factor when it comes to 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 marketing and, and decision making. Yeah, that would be such an interesting approach because I think I think we've talked about this before. Like, you know, the, some, potentially the vision for the future, um, and maybe you can talk a bit more to this is going to be the ability to scan food and understand where it came from, its nutritional density, and then price would probably be determined on its nutritional density. However, going the other way is kind of scary, and I think if if we went the other way today most people would realize the stuff that they're buying and putting in their body is considerably toxic um, because of all the chemicals that are needed to to continue cultivating this unnatural ecosystem on farms that is not designed to grow these types of you know crops in this type of country at this kind of abundance, um, but we need all these chemical adjuncts to the system in order to make it actually work. Um, however, the end user suffers the consequence right our microbiomes get depleted we develop disease we experience all of these things so i guess because you mentioned this before like voting with your dollar and i think anyone in a capitalist society which we are i mean melbourne's arguably a bit communist at the minute but um (laughs) but most people listening are going to be from a capitalist society and so i think voting with your dollar in that situation is one of the most powerful means of creating or contributing to the world in which you wish to exist in or be a part of so what can people do in order to be able to use their dollar to to make these decisions or contribute to the world in which you're hoping to be a part of creating? Yeah. So I think the first thing that comes comes into my mind is to cancel cancel culture as well as weird as that sounds is what I see online (laughs) is you don't agree with my values. So I'm just going to block you and cancel culture. And this really is part of the problem is that we're not stopping and understanding the other side of the coin. I've got a theory that, not a theory, I say to everyone, coins have three sides, heads, tail, and the edge. And if you really want to be uh, an empowered human on the planet, you need to understand to explore all three sides of the coin and then make a decision. And what happens now is like, no, I'm seeing heads. You're telling me it's tails. I don't want to know you. And so if we keep this kind of behavior on, we're going to end up in these little pools of like only being around people who think and act and, and, and breed the kind of same values and that we're not open to friendly debate anymore. You know, there's so much arguments about regenerative agriculture because it involves animals and, and it uses, you know, uh, the mm-hmm. power of a, of a cow or a goat or an animal to regenerate and heal because there's, you know, Mother Nature designed a system that just worked without humans. So the fact that we think <laughs> yeah. we'll come in here and intervene and we're going to do it better is complete baloney. But yes, so putting resistance and going no region ag supports cattle and cows. So I I can't support that system. That is where the problem is going to lie. We need to understand that it's not about the way that we, uh, it's not the animal's fault. It's the way that we manage it. It's the pressure that we as humans put on the system. The fact that we throw 10,000 cattle in a dust bowl and call that a feedlot and feed it very shit grain, that is the problem of why our food quality is dropping and why more and more people are getting sick. And you also made the link between the gut biome and the, you know, and there's so much research now, and I can't believe it's taken so long to even get attention to research is the links between soil biology and the life that exists under the soil and beneath our feet and how, uh, the, the, how common it is to our actual gut biome, you know, and you know, that old saying of you are what you eat that matters, but the next level to that is you are what you eat, ate. So if you're eating wheat and a grain or a cereal, then what did that grain or cereal eat? And that would have been the microbes under the soil. And then the microbes mm-hmm. under the soil, what did they eat? You know, what, what was providing them the carbohydrates and the fungi and the mycelium to then function? And if any one of those systems are broken, like if you keep following the food system of what you eat, ate, you'll get to a point where it stops with soil and biology and you think, wow, now I need to farm the animals and the life under our soil 
before anything above the ground even matters, you know, but humans think we're smart. Yeah. And what we see is what we believe. And because the soil biology is underneath and it's out of sight and out of mind, we've just ignored it for so long. And now all the research is starting to, you know, become groundbreaking, unintended. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept to really spend a few seconds or minutes or days thinking about the idea that humans are animals of nature. And so the intellectual arrogance that we have to think we can do nature better when we are just one m- tiny part of what nature has created ourselves. The, yeah, the oh, idea yeah. that our brain is good enough to outsmart the entire ecosystem is just such arrogance. 100%. And there is a documentary on Netflix, which is by David Edinburgh, and it's his witness statement. And I just think it's amazing that one person through his life has seen an amazing, magical, full of life rainforest get depleted to just death. And he takes us through this journey. And I really recommend people go watch this and, you know, use it as a smack in the face that you need to wake yourself up. But he goes to Chernobyl where humans destroyed and became so toxic that we couldn't enter there. It was poisonous for us to be there. Mm -hmm. But many years later, decades later, what's bouncing back? It's all the wildlife. Animals can go there. Trees are growing through the buildings. There's moss on the concrete. There is an abundance of life where somewhere where humans destroyed. And it just proves that nature wins, you know. And I have been advocating a lot now that we don't have to save the world. The world will save itself. We need to save civilization on what we call Earth today because if we don't change what we do, we're going to become extinct by natural selection and at no fault of our own and probably deserving as much as doom and gloom that sounds is if we don't work with and see ourselves as part of it as a system, we don't deserve to be here, you know, because nature will win. So we don't need to save the world. We need to save the way that we as custodians on the planet and citizens on the planet work with the world. That's the real problem. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, absolutely. You're, what, when you speak about this topic, it reminds me of um, there's a guy that's been on Joe Rogan maybe six or seven times now called Randall Carlson, um, and he's uh, a professor in geology and has a lab and and has done all of this phenomenal work. But um, he basically thinks that it's it's cute that humans think that uh, we can have this impact on the world and not suffer consequences because Mother Nature is almighty and powerful. And um, he basically says if humans were to do something that that killed us all, um, it would take somewhere between 50 and 100 years, only 50 to 100 years for Mother Nature to essentially have removed all evidence of our existence. Like, and yep. that's, that's like one, maybe two lifetimes. And it's like Mother Nature, she's got it covered. Like whatever the imbalance is, she will, she will write it. Um, you know, we, we keep trying to get in the way, but um, yeah, the earth and all the forces that exist are so much more powerful than, than what we can do. And it's happened before. You know, they discover temples underground. They mm. discover hidden cities underwater. Like it's happened before. Like if you see here in a disillusion that this will never happen, that we are greater and we've got this, I think that's the mistake to think that we've, you know, we need to, you know, we need to actively focus on this. And 
we really need to go internally and think what can we do you know, 7.5 billion people on the planet, if we all did one positive thing every single day and compounded that, we are totally unstoppable. We have so much more power than mm. what we've led to believe and our decision-making does matter, you know, um, and you don't have to beat yourself up about it, but you just need to be conscious. You know, I often say, let's stop certifying the farmers and the growers. Let's just certify the consumers, like be a conscious consumer. Certify the shoppers that they know how to make powerful buying decisions, stop believing in the food pyramid and think that's our only source of truth of what foods we should be eating. No, like, like that's, that's the paradigm yeah. shift that needs to happen is that we need to, as consumers, be educated. And I use the word consumer because that's what we are. People don't like it. They like to sugarcoat that. Again, the problem, stop sugarcoating yourself mm-hmm. as a foodie or someone who's, no, you're a consumer. If you consume more than you produce, you're a consumer. You know, and people don't like mm-hmm. hearing the truth of that. Produce something, produce art, produce value, produce content, produce something. We're not saying you have to be a food producer, but until we can outweigh the scale that we consume more than what we produce, then keep calling yourself the label that you don't like calling yourself because that's the harsh realities of what we are and what we're doing. Totally. Um, and more to that. So we, we started, I guess, talking about you know, cancelling cancel culture and people being open-minded to discussion um, and looking at the other side of the coin. And social media has perpetuated in the worst way that your beliefs and your emotions are your identity. And I think that's so incredibly toxic to social evolution and and all the things that come from that because it, we're a social species and, you know, research, collaboration, all those things are inherently social activities. And I think that cancelling cancel culture is a great idea because um, having that diversity of opinion and acceptance that everybody's not like you and doesn't hold the same beliefs is crucial to moving forward in all relationships. But moving to the next step, so that's kind of the belief ideological acceptance realm, moving to the more practical, you know, people go into the, go into the supermarket or go into the market, what do they do? What do they do? What, what are the actions they take in order to buy better? Well, you made a podcast about it. It's called Ask Better Questions. And that is hands down. How, <laughs> did. Yeah, you did. I loved it. I, watched it. I listened to it several times. And that's exactly what we need to do. We just need to ask better questions. We need to look at the food pyramid and say, who funded this? Why did they come to this conclusion? How did we end up with a system that is put into the education system and told that that is the truth? Like just asking better questions. Go into a restaurant and say, do you know where this steak is being sourced from? Ask better questions. You know, put the pressure mm. on the system to go, oh, my customers care where the food comes from. You know, some of the most successful restaurants before COVID in Melbourne and Victoria were people who put the farm profile on their menu. You know, they, they said this steak That's comes cool. from Mary and Jane's farm from down the road who have been in this industry for 12 years and they grow grass-fed beef and, you know, and, and we're not at the level where people want to know the name of the cattle but we're getting closer to that. And you mentioned this as well before. We're about being in the aisle and scanning a QR code. You know, 12, two years ago, no one even knew how to use a QR code. Arguably, some still don't. But um, we, we, we are more in, in... I'm trying to pretend I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the people who like <laughs> the photos of all the QR codes. They're like, I'm doing it right, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, well, yeah, you are doing it right, maybe. <laughs> you know, going in the aisle and scanning a QR code and loading up a video and meeting the farmer in the aisle and really building your value belief system and say, this farmer is in a town or area that I want to support. They've got two kids, they've got a dog, you know, that you can meet the family, meet the farmer in the aisle, you know, and I think that storytelling mm-hmm. point of view um, is going to, is going to be the world that we kind of move towards. People are really interested. Um, I also get really excited about blockchain. I'm not going to bore the audience about that, but there's a lot of innovation happening where we can follow produce right through all the logistical steps. So you can scan a QR code and go, oh my God, this bit of meat has gone through 7,000 steps to get to this shelf where this other one next to it has gone through three steps to get to this shelf. You know, so we're going to be able to make better decisions on that. But, you know, coming back to the question, just asking better questions, making it known that you care where things are coming from, looking at the nutritional value, but also don't believe on face value what is being said. You know, ask questions mm-hmm. saying who's saying what, why are they saying it? Every scientific research that happens at the moment starts with a hypothesis and is funded by someone. I'm not saying all of them are bad, but a lot of them could possibly be skewed or open for interpretation of what data sets get included and omitted based on who is saying what, not what is being said. 
Yeah, I love that. And actually, the other day, a friend and I were at a Melbourne restaurant, which is known to be a very healthy restaurant. Like, you know, and we went in the other day and asked, been there many times in the past and just happened to be going down a learning rabbit hole at the minute. And we both were like, oh, out of curiosity, which oils do do, do your chefs use? Um, And the girl was kind of like, I don't know, vegetable oil. And we were like, oh, but but can you go and find out because, and as many of the listeners might know from my ranting and raving that vegetable oils are very, very toxic for you and that the marketing industry labeled them vegetable oils to make them more friendly to consumers and sound like healthy things, but they're one of the worst things that I think that humans can put in their body. And anyway, this really healthy restaurant that's got this really healthy rep amongst hipsters that are trying to be healthy, um, she came back and she's like, oh, I asked I asked the chefs and it was cottonseed oil, uh, one of the worst things you could put in the, the human body uh, and we left um, and so we, we left and went to the next place that we knew was much better so that we'd already asked those questions before and, and so I think yeah that's a great suggestion and people should be doing the same at farmers markets you know there's a lot of farmers and there's a lot of um, sellers of produce and whatever that are really good salesmen because they have to sell their stuff but if you actually start asking what are, you know where does the where do these animals live what do they eat because those vegetable oils that I was just talking about, when they go through the manufacture process, a lot of farmers get like the canola feed or the cottonseed feed or the, the the physical component of the oil that is made, and then feed it to their to their cattle um, or their pigs or whatever they've got, um, and that then ine- inevitably makes the meat that you're eating unhealthy already before it even gets to you. So. I think asking these questions is so important in the restaurant, in the at, at farmers markets, just everywhere you go. But what about when people are in the supermarket? Like, how should they navigate that when there's no one to ask and the 15 year old kids that is just getting his part time job so he can buy six beers on the weekend? Um, like, who do they ask then? How do they navigate that? So there's some, yeah. I guess like going down the, the in the aisle, it's the length of ingredients. So the more ingredients, and this is what really spooks me around in all this lab grown meat and fake meat movement is that if you look at the back of the label and see the number of ingredients that are included, you just think why, how, or for. And secondly, the length of the ingredients in in the name and wording, the more X's and Y's and the the less ability for you to pronounce it, uh, the less beneficial it probably is uh, for you. And this is the dilemma with the food system is that we don't have enough time of consuming this particular potential chemical for it to have known effects, you know. And so there are reports every day where a food or a product or something is labelled now 20, 30, 40, 50 years later as cancer-causing or dangerous or removed from 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 it, you know. And, there's you know, the other alarming thing is like why would one country ban it and another country doesn't? It's like there should mm. be this rule that like if one research lab or what, like we need to stop this whole, again, this whole disconnection of going, oh, this chemical, and it's not just in food, it's in building materials, it's in fibre that we wear, it's in furniture we buy. Like why is this chemical banned in Europe but still okay everywhere else in the world? You know, you've got to try and mm-hmm. those dots, you know, and I think in my world if it's potentially dangerous, then it should just fall in dangerous. It's like guilty unless otherwise innocent kind of methodology, um, you know. Yeah. So apply that to any other scenario you might be having to think about at the moment. But, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that I say in the aisle <laughs> is look at the back of the label and go, how long is a list of ingredients? How, like, close to nature is it? You know, like in a beef patty, there should just be beef, not 17 other thousand things in it, you know. And the, the, the advocation mm-hmm. of fake meat to save the world is just absolutely blows my mind that we would even be considering this as a race. Yeah. Well, I was just about to touch on that too because um, a lot of people when, you know, like I get all the time and I'm going to do an episode on it actually, I get all the time people thinking that I'm vegan or vegetarian because I'm interested in health, because I'm a health guru or guy, you know. Um, And so, I think as well with like when, when you talk organic or regenerative, there's probably a default thought that this must be about plant-based because that just seems to be the marketing that's been successful over the last decade or so that, that has created this healthy user bias that, oh, 
plants and healthy people go together. So maybe we can just touch on what you just said there is that, you know, like the idea of all these fake meats and different things um, and a plant-based future saving the earth is actually a really ridiculous idea and uh, and I guess disconnecting the idea that regenerative could possibly be a, about veganism as well. Mm. Mm. It, it is a very, it's probably a topic on its own. I'd love to hear your, you know, take and I'd love to add to the conversation. I've always said to someone like, let's do the three sides of the coin and like have a vegan and a non-vegan. Mm. And it's not about vegan, non-vegan. It's got nothing to do with the belief on that. It's when it goes to the point of saying animals shouldn't be used uh, in a regenerative space, um, like the power, <clears throat> one of the principles of regenerative is biodiversity. So can you go onto a farm and see how many different types of species, whether that be human as one, plant matter as another, so how many types of grasses, how many types of bugs, how many, you know, how much life is in mm-hmm. the soil, how many birds are in the trees, where's the possums, where's the snakes, where's the, that's biodiversity, a group of animals living together uh, as the nature intended it. When you go onto a soy farm, mm-hmm. you see just soy. Now, there's nothing wrong if you want to be vegan, but understand that if you partake in mass soy production, you're actually doing more damage to wildlife than if that was a regenerative space, growing a small amount of soy, a bit of corn, a bit of cattle, a bit of goat, a bit of chicken, and there's biodiversity on that farm that brings an abundance of life, most of the life that we can't even see. That is what I believe if you're wanting to save wildlife should be an advocated system, not completely shunting it and saying, well, you support cattle on that farm, that goes against my beliefs as a, as a person who doesn't want to be, a, you know, who wants to identify as vegan, just understand asking better questions like by choosing to be vegan and supporting mass monoculture of soy farms and lots of others, what damaging effects does that actually have in the greater part of the system rather than just your choice of what's on your plate? Because that's what happens is we zone in on what's on the plate and say nothing no animal was harmed by me eating this tofu. That is, I think, complete disillusion because if you understand that that had to be grown on some monoculture and trucked around the world and heavily processed, that is doing more damage to the wildlife and animals that you're not directly in contact with. That is more of a concern from the world and the view that I come from. So I'd much rather work walk on a farm mm. that is full of life and has lots of working systems together and there are reports now that there are conservational parks that have got less biodiversity than the neighbouring farm next door that is grown regeneratively. So think about this, conservational park getting wow. lots of money to conserve that area and protect it is having less success than the regenerative farm next door to it. Like fence lines, doesn't matter. Wildlife walks to the, the property and says, green, lush, bugs that I can eat, I'm going to go and ha- go to my smorgasbord over here. I'm not going to go to this con- conservation park that is like drought, death, and yet yeah, has trees and no <laughs> one can touch it and no one can walk on it. Awesome. But on paper, or well, it might seem smart, but to wildlife, they go, I don't want that. I want this abundance of greenery and lush and life. I'm going to go and hang out at this regenerative farm. So yeah. why do we need to wait for science to catch up when the true examples of birds being identified on regenerative farms that haven't been seen for centuries and they can't even bring them back in conservation parks that are getting millions of dollars of funding to conserve that area. I don't know. It's not a, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't need any more research to kind of make my decision on which system I want to support, you know. Yeah. So talking about that biodiversity and the, the way that, you know, these parks get millions of dollars to cultivate these beautiful rainforests and wildlife seems to naturally just go towards these regenerative farms. And and you were saying there too, like, you know, you don't need any more science. And I think you touched on it throughout the episode as well, that looking into who's funding science and who profits from the results of science is really important because science is itself a business. Um, and so, Letting nature do what it's naturally always done, I think, is 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 really really important because the evidence is in front of our eyes, right? And and is it possible for you to share maybe some of the people that have engaged with farming secrets, how their farms have changed, and, and what has changed for the people on the ground using this information that you're putting out there to help people transition to this regenerative model, and how that's helped families, farmers, nutrition, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. There are, you know, over the years and years, there have been physical workshops that Farming Secrets has put on, 
key experts have come from all parts of the world to talk in, you know, sometimes farm sheds and, and holding events in, you know, in, in the shed on a farm. People for a very long time have felt that they want to do things differently. And so now we are more of an online community and everything's streamable and we're basically kind of like a, you know, YouTube or a Netflix for farmers. And that's what, you know, we, we really want to focus on now is how do we create virtual fence lines where you can be, you know, talking to a neighbor on the other side of the world and understanding how their soil works and how your soil works and realize that, oh my God, it's so in common. Um, you know, soil has a very global language. It works the same um, even in different climates. And so when we start nurturing the soil, we realize that we start hanging around with people that are very like-minded. We really want to do the right thing for the planet. And it, it is all about mindset, you know. So some of the <clears throat> key results are farmers who go, oh my God, I don't want to be working as harder anymore. Or you're telling me that I can work less in a tractor and grow better quality food and get better prices and I don't need to sell to commodity markets. Like sometimes it's not more, it's better quality of life. You know, being like, mm-hmm. you know, being able to spend time with kids growing up and going to netball games and being available on the weekends and not having to constantly be on a tractor doing something to create your own self-worth and net worth, thinking that being on a tractor tilling the soil and killing all the life unbeknown to you is actually an important thing of the farm system. Normally, the wives, you know, quote unquote cliche kind of model, husband and wife farming enterprise, which I know now is not the norm anymore, but you know, like the the wife would normally be the one who researches this stuff because they're a little bit more nurturing, they're a bit more caring by you know, by by mm. nature. Yeah, and so um, that that tends to be you know who we hang around a lot is 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 the wives who are who are researching and learning this stuff, and then in the fifteen minutes that the husband comes in or the farm manager comes in, they then talk about oh, did you know that we cannot use this chemical and maybe we can try and do some you know, seaweed fertilizer, or we can try and do some worm composting, or maybe we can invest in setting up our own worm compost and and provide all the the farms in the area. And they're the type of enterprises that we've Mm -hmm. seen is that farmers who may have just been a monoculture corn and bean grower, then eventually becomes the town's compost producer. And they're running workshops in their old wool shed where they're not shearing anymore and they're bringing community. And so the changes that we see is from a mindset, a community connectedness and educating the local community of a better or different or new way of farming into the future. Uh, It's not about more dollars in the bank. It's not about things like that. As much as we want it to be about that, what happens is people realise, I don't need to have the land next door. I'm going to sell that or I'm going to stop that lease. I'm going to start working smarter, Mm -hmm. not harder. You know, so we kind of go more, you know, people start exploring biodynamics, they start getting more connected with the cycles and the seasons and where the moon is at. Like all those things start mattering and people become more spiritual farmers and they're the ones that really have the biggest impact. And you can't measure it on yeah. a balance sheet. You really can't. And especially when you start talking about the moon and the seasons, that your hardcore science nerds, they've tuned out. But um, the science has got us here. Like it got us into this problem, right? The conventional mainstream science has developed these problems. So there has to be an alternative solution. So for the listeners, where can they find Farming Secrets and you? And, and what kind of people might uh, dive into the, the programs that you've got? Everyone who really... Eats should be learning this information. And that's one of the things that I start really enjoying is when I see people join our Facebook community where they will say, I'm not, I don't have access to land. I just want to know more about how my food's grown and I want to be more connected to the soil. Um, so, mm-hmm. you, you know, there are, there are a lot of people who can come into this program. You don't need to be a farmer. One of the reasons why, you know, we called Farming Secrets because that's kind of what worked in the past. So to answer your question, farmingsecrets.com, you can Google Regen Ray, uh, you'll find all my YouTube channel and my videos. Uh, and it's all about educating and inspiring and getting people to just have that aha moment where they get really curious to kind of get their hands dirty, dig deeper in their soils and understand that the biology and the life that's in that soil is not poisonous and dangerous is what we kind of grown up to be. You know, you see kids playing in the mud. It's like, don't play in the mud. That's dirty. Go wash your hands. It's like, no, no, no. We should embrace that. We should be not putting those poisonous sultanas that are grown in that box into their mouths. You know, like that's poisonous. <laughs> um, you know, and so we just got to change that narrative. And I just want, you know, people to really um, not believe anything I've said during this podcast. Like I'm another person on this planet who's just gone down this rabbit hole and learn. It's not to discredit what I've just said, but I live on the value 
And as I've recommended in this podcast, ask better questions and go do your own research. So let what I've said spark an interest and go, I don't believe that Regen Ray guy, and then go explore it for yourself <laughs> and then realize and come to your own conclusion. And then email me and say, hey, you're wrong about this. Well, shit, you're really right about that. I can't believe I discovered this, this, and this. And did you know about that? And that's where real magic happens. So, you know, cancel culture me and then go and do your own research, but just let it be planted <laughs> in your mind to start the curiosity because that's the best thing that I can do to help future generations. Amazing, amazing. So I'll chuck all of your links down in the show notes below for everybody that wants to check it out. And anybody listening, if you've enjoyed this episode or you want to connect with Ray, head down there. Uh, You want to let us know that you've been listening to this episode, take a screenshot, share it into your social media stories, give us both a tag. Um, And if you feel like family members, friends, maybe people are suffering from disease or being overweight or whatever it might be, then you think that them hearing this episode could be the piece that sparks their interest to go down, you know, a rabbit hole that could be beneficial, share this episode with them. Um, and so, Ray, to wrap up, I know there's a million ways you can answer this question, but what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Don't believe what they say, believe who's saying it. You know, like I don't, yeah, I don't, that's the thing is it's like who is saying what, not what is being said, you know, um, it's your body, your choice, do whatever you like. Um, but at the end of the day, you really need to follow the money, follow the who's, what's the agenda. Um, and, and um, you know, it's no, yeah, there's no, I don't really believe that there is any magic bullet to health apart from just educating and making better choices. And um, we can't demonize what we don't know. So just, you know, that we're all doing the best we possibly can and everyone is trying to fit into their mold and be the best versions of themselves every day. And so we don't need to, you know, put anyone in a box or ridicule what they're saying, but just go through as a, as a human and be super curious. So fundamentally, perpetually seek the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Just be curious. Because I think truths that existed 10 years ago are no longer truthful. So does it mean that they mm. were right back then? No, they were just right for the ability and the mindset and the conscious awareness that existed back then. So, you know, the yeah. open, have an open mind, be curious and don't go, yep, I've researched that. It has to be accurate. What was truthful today can be wrong tomorrow. And that's that openness awesome. change that is really going to set us free. Amazing. Thanks, man. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Awesome. It was great having you. Like I've, yeah, this conversation was just really, I'm going to have to go listen back to it because I tend to talk from the heart and I don't remember what I say. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you being here and we definitely will be getting you back. No doubt about it. So thanks for being here and we'll catch you soon. Awesome. Stay healthy. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.